Lord, we thank you for this wonderful evening. We thank you for this time uh, that we can come and gather together as your people, as your children, as brothers and sisters, uh, to get into your word, to learn from your word, to hear you speak to our hearts, to our lives, to our, our minds, Lord Jesus. Uh, we pray that your word tonight would encourage us, would edify and build us up. And Lord, I pray your blessing over each family that is represented here um, in your house tonight, Lord. Cover them. May there be peace in their home. May there be the covering of your Holy Spirit and the protection, the protection that you provide to each and every one of us, Lord. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Anybody? Anybody want to come up and share a testimony? It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be, you know. Anything big, huge, it could be, it could be small, but you saw God in it. No? All right. I don't see anybody's hand going up. Nobody rushing the altar. <laughs> All right. It's really good to see everyone. Uh, in case you have not been with us or haven't, uh, not sure where we're at, we're in Acts chapter 20 tonight. Acts chapter 20. And I enjoy this passage um, every time I go through the passage, every time I hear someone teach or preach from it or use it, it's just a great, powerful word. If you have your Bibles and you're there at Acts 20, um, follow along. When you have it, you can say amen. All right. Has God been good? Yeah? God is good to us all the time? Praise the Lord. God is good, right? And uh, I believe, I truly believe with all my heart that uh, when we focus on, I'm going to say the simplicity, okay, of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ through our lives, in our lives, God is glorified. Our heavenly father is glorified. And that's part of what this passage is about tonight. That the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message, is simply the resurrection, okay? The death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what Paul dedicated his ministry and his life to. To letting others know of what our lives could be like if we gave Jesus Christ an opportunity to resurrect us along with him, the way he was resurrected. Are you following what I'm saying? That was his message, that if they gave Jesus a chance, that if they chose to follow Jesus, their lives would be transformed. Their lives would be changed. Life would not be easier. That's not what he promised. That's not what he said. And that's not what Paul preached or taught. If anything... If anything, if we've been learning anything about his life or any of the apostles' lives, even in our own lives, and I know many of us can say amen to that, is that hardships will come. Those trying, challenging days, for some of us even seasons, for others it's been years of trial, of hard times, of, of just like pushing, right? Pushing through. Those 
days, those times, those seasons do come to our lives. But his message was that with Christ in our lives, we could get through any hardship. We could weather any storm. He faced physical and spiritual storms, right? And there was always opposition from the enemy trying to stop the message of the gospel. So tonight as we get into Acts chapter 20, um, let's keep all those things in mind that they've gone through, that they've seen, and that they've experienced as we see even more unfold before them and even for us. This is a fun passage. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 1. Everybody there? Uh, let me make sure um, that I have the NIV. That's what I'm choosing to use tonight. Uh, I didn't mention that to my text, but I hope they have it. They said they do. They have a thumbs up from them. So um, we got Nikki and Pastor Manuel back there, so we can't go wrong. <laughs> we can't go wrong. Uh, in Jesus' name. All right. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, why, why, did he, why does it emphasize, I'm going to try not to pause too much, okay, and then, like take too much time here and there, because there's this one part that I really want to get to. But why do we hear that he encouraged the disciples? You guys remember what happened at the end of 19, by any chance? Anybody? He kind of makes reference to it in the opening uh, words there. There was a big uproar. Right? There had just been a big uproar. They're trying to imprison Paul. They're trying to stop the message of the gospel. They're trying to stop them from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right? That's why it says, when the uproar had ended. So if you want to look back at 19 later, go ahead. It's always fun. Okay? Go back home and, and skim through the passages. Read through them. Read through them slowly. Read through them over and over. Um, one of the things I love to do uh, I'll just be around the house doing things. And even when my boys are in the pool and I'm just hanging out with them or whatever, I'll have my headphones in and I'm just listening to the passage. And I'll go back and repeat it and just listen if I'm doing yard work or I'm in the house, whatever it may be. Sometimes even like laying in bed, I'll just put it on. I'll fall asleep. <laughs> but the passage is there. The word of God is there. And I'm trying to just read, listen, read, listen, okay, and hear it. So that's, that's all we do. Um, aside from the studies, but my encouragement is like get your, your, yourself saturated in God's word. So it says when the uproar had ended. So obviously when there's um, opposition or there is challenges, sometimes we're discouraged, right? Have you ever called somebody or text somebody and said, hey, how you doing? And they're like, eh, right? They reply back with an eh or some kind of emoji, you know? I don't know, whichever one, right? Um, and you're like, hey, what's going on? Sometimes we're discouraged, yes? And we need somebody to encourage us. Paul knew this about his disciples. These were his disciples, not only the disciples of Christ, but they were also his disciples, his students. And so it says, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, after encouraging them, he says goodbye and he sets out from Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived at Greece, where he stayed three months, okay? Paul's a traveler, right? He's on the move. He is on the move, and that's something I want to ask us today. I'm not asking if we are traveling to different places, okay, preaching the gospel, 
But what I want to ask is, or a question I'd love to pose for tonight is, are you and I on the move spiritually where we are, where God has us? Are you and I on the move for Jesus Christ? We have to ask ourselves sometimes. We have to pause. And, you know, daily life can, can get a hold of us. And we can get caught up, right? We can get caught up in daily life. But I believe we have to pause sometimes and say, Lord, am I glorifying you? Am I being a light? Am I being an encourager? Am I on the move for you? Not for myself, because, man, I can get busy. I can get busy. I can make myself busy. Anytime there's something that I need to, like, get done or I need to go somewhere or do something important, trust me, I make myself busy with other things because I want to keep my mind off of it. I don't want to think about it. Has that ever happened to you? Or am I the only, like, crazy one? Like, okay, I got one witness right here. <laughs> Sometimes I do that. I'm guilty of that. I'll make myself busy because I don't want to think about that. It's something that I either want to avoid or it's something that I know is going to be a challenging situation or circumstance. I just, I don't want to do this. I don't want to have this conversation. And I'm outside hammering, drilling, cutting, doing something, yard work, whatever, working on washing. I'll make things up to do to keep myself and my mind away from it. And then when it comes time, it's like, all right, dude, you just got to go face this. But I think we need to pause sometimes and say, Lord, what am I doing? Am I just making myself busy to be busy? Or am I doing the work that you have called me to do? And being focused in that, right? And I see Paul, he's like, he's not just busy. He's got a purpose. There's a whole reason why he's traveling and doing these things. And he's allowing the Holy Spirit. This is very significant. He's allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to him, to give him discernment. And he's practicing that in his daily life because he knows that there's moments where his life literally depend on the discernment of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you remember, but there was moments where he says the Holy Spirit held us back, didn't allow us to continue because our lives were at stake. And it's not that he doesn't want to be a, a, a martyr. It's not that he doesn't want to die for the cause because he's more than willing to. We've seen that over and over in his life. He's hardcore like that, right? He is. But he knows also that God has a plan and a purpose. And he knows that it's not his time. And so he allows the Holy Spirit to say, no, stop. Don't go there. It's not time for you to, you know, to die, to face death yet. Let's keep reading. Man, we got to keep going because I'm really excited about this piece here that we're going to find in a second. Verse 3, he stayed there three months because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria. says, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by, okay, I'm going to say a bunch of names right now that I'm probably going to mess up, all right? Let's see, where was I at? He was accompanied by Sopater, (laughs) son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus, and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derbe, Timothy also, we all know Timothy, Tychicus, we've heard his name before, and Trophimus, or Trophimus, okay? Trophimus, I was wondering about that guy's name. Like, why, was he, why does his name sound like trophy, right? 
I don't even know if it's related. But anyways, I didn't bother to study his name. From the province of Asia. It says, these men went on ahead and waited for us. They waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread. Note that. Underline that. Just, I'm not probably going to highlight it too much. But these are significant points because they let us know the time of year that it was. Okay, the season they were in. You follow me? All right. These are little notes or little things that we can highlight in our Bibles because we see them come up often. We saw them and hear about them when Jesus, before the crucifixion, before his death, we hear about times when they gathered and they got, would gather before or during or after. You will hear things like that that are very significant that help us. Listen to this. They help us understand what time of year it was. Everybody following? All right. So it says, after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later, join the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. All right. Verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Okay, everybody say, the first day of the week. All right. The first day of the week, if you're Jewish, if you live in Israel, or if you're Jewish, not just if you live in Israel. The first day of the week is not how we think of the first day of the week. It is not Monday. The first day of the week, if you are of Hebrew or of Jewish tradition background, the first day of the week is actually on Sunday. They actually work from Sunday through Thursday. That's their work week. All right, everybody following? Okay. On the first day of the week, it says what? We came together to do what? Okay. This was a tradition that they followed. They would come together to not only eat together, to break bread, was to fellowship, was to eat together. But it wasn't just to eat together. They actually remembered. It was a time to remember the resurrection. Okay? If you remember or if you look back to John chapter 20, we find Mary Magdalene. She's one of the ones that goes to the tomb. Do you guys remember that? And it says there, the very first words in that first verse of chapter 20, it says, very early, okay, very early while it was still dark. Now, I don't know how many early risers we have, but like right now, very early could be like 530 and it's already light out. Right? Some of us probably don't see the light till 6.30, 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. I don't know. I don't know. But I know that my boys start giggling, laughing, and talking, and it's already light out, and it's not even 6.30. And I'm like, it's summertime. What are you guys doing? My wife and I keep telling them, can you guys sleep in a little? <laughs> it's like, you know, when school's in, the hardest time waking them up. As soon as they're out of school, it's like, can you stay asleep? <laughs> All right. So it says, very early in the morning, Mary went to the tomb. While it was still dark, it was the first day of the week, it says. You could look it up right now if you want to. The first day of the week. All right. I'm getting there something, okay? I'm getting at something. Just follow along. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. So there they are. It's the first day of the week. They're coming together, okay? 
And it says, Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. My goodness. All right. It says, they came together to bread, break bread. So they're hanging out in fellowship, but also to share God's word, to study together. Now, the actual word that's used here is very interesting for him when it says Paul spoke. It's not just the typical word for talking that is used in the original Greek language, but it's actually a word that goes a little bit more in depth. And the word in Greek, if hopefully I give it some, do it some justice, dialegomi, okay, dialegomi, if you hear that, it kind of sounds like dialogue, right? Dialegomi. Now, the word here means to like actually sit down and not have a casual conversation, but it means to thoroughly get into the word of God. So they, they were intentional about their breaking bread. I don't know how many of you are intentional about breaking your bread, but I sure am. I love to break bread. When my family and I celebrate, I know like my brother Mario over here, when we talk sometimes and we're not talking church stuff, we're talking fish, we're talking steaks, we're talking food. It's very interesting, but some of us are very, we could have majored in breaking bread. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> but yeah, when my family and I get together, my family in Arizona, my wife and I here with the boys, if we're trying to plan meals, my wife, we're serious about it. My wife will plan meals for, the, for seven days, like the entire week. And then we'll go shopping according to the meals we want. So we're pretty serious about it. Like, that's just part of, you know, her personality. She loves to be organized and she's a planner. Um, I'm the type that I'll just go to the market and I'll just go up and down the aisles. And that's bad because most of the time I'm hungry when I'm doing that. And that's just not good because I won't stay within a budget and I won't be like, and there will be no plan about it. I'll just be grabbing, oh, that pineapple looks very good and ripe. Mongols, let's go. And I'll just be thinking, oh, later on, I'm going to be chopping this up with some tahine and right. That's the way my mind. And then I'll pass the tortilla aisle. Forget it. Boom, boom. Corn and flour. We might not even eat them. I'll get home and there'll already be some. Why'd you get this? Why? While I was thinking, you know, we can have these kind of burritos and I'm thinking that my mind just goes. Right. They were serious about breaking bread, but they were even more serious about getting into the word of God. So. When it says here that Paul was getting into a dialogue, an in-depth okay, conversation about the word of God is because they took it serious. And this was very important to them. They were remembering resurrection time. This is something very significant here in this chapter because of what happens a little bit after. It says... He was talking until midnight. Others would say, oh, Paul was long-winded and he just preached long. Maybe. But he was very intentional and they were all there. So it wasn't just like Paul was in an audience of one. There was a group of people there that they were meeting together. And they were there to celebrate, to remember, to commemorate. They were there to listen, to learn. And they also knew Paul was going to be leaving soon. 
So they were trying to take advantage of their teacher being there with them, in front of them, one who had studied the scriptures, Old Testament, because there was no New Testament. What we're reading here, they didn't have that yet. That was them. This was them living it out, right? They didn't have anything New Testament. But here was Paul, one who had studied the Old Testament, had studied the scrolls, had studied the prophets, and he was now teaching them and connecting all those teachings of the Old Testament and bringing them to life through the message of Jesus Christ resurrected. Isn't that powerful? So he's making a connection for them. So for many of them, they're like, their eyes are being opened. Their hearts are being transformed there in the process. And they're like hungry for the word. How many of us remember when we were hungry for the word? When we were like fresh and we had just come to Jesus, we couldn't get enough, right? We wanted to have worship every day. It's like, Pastor, why can't we have worship every day at church? <laughs> I remember hearing folks, you know, ask us, Pastor, why can't we just, well, go ahead, come. The church is open every day, you know. You guys can come and have worship. But we had this desire and this hunger for the scriptures, right? And we wanted to share it, and we wanted to tell it. And we were just so, like, excited. So these folks here are like, they're taking it all in. They know Paul's about to head out. He's going. He's on the move. Let's take it in right now that we can. And then look what it says. There were many lamps in the upstairs room. They were in the upper room of this um, place because it doesn't specify or tell us specifically whether it was a temple or a synagogue. A lot of them just had centers, almost like community centers in their towns where they would meet and they would share about the message of Jesus Christ. Because they were like community centers where they would all come to have these times of breaking bread and sharing the scriptures together. They were literally community centers. So it says, there were many lamps. I found that so interesting. I was like, what was Luke? Why? What was he thinking? Why? And my mind was like, what? why is this here? Why is it telling us that there were, I have lamps in my house. Anybody else have lamps in my house? If I gave you a description in my house, I wouldn't start by telling you there were many lamps in, the, in my house. I, you probably wouldn't care that I have lamps. You probably just want to know, Pastor Joe, do you have a pool? <laughs> Can I come over, right? Especially right now. But I was like, why is, Paul, is Luke mentioning that there is many lamps? So I kind of started digging and this is when the Lord just started like impressing in my heart something very significant that's happening in this passage. The day that they get together on the first day of the week is called Motai Shabbat. Okay? And I'm not like very good at pronouncing a lot of these words. But they get together to remember what? What did we, the what? Resurrection of the risen Savior. Amen? For many of them in their traditions, that day was very significant because it was the day that they gathered not only to break bread, but to say blessings or prayers. So after they would break bread, 
they would say blessings and prayers, and they would all light candles. Very cool looking, very cool, very interesting. I didn't know this. Go ahead, Pastor. You can put up an image. And they would light up these candles, and they're called Ner Havdalah, okay? And for the most part, I don't know if all of them, but for the most part, they have six wicks braided. Six braided wicks. Ain't that cool? So every person that would come, every person that would come together at Motzai Shabbat, when they came time to say the blessings, they would all light their candles. Each one of them. Is everybody following? And so, to me at least, and what I felt was significant about Luke wanting to just, let me just throw in there that there were many lamps in the upper room. Isn't just by chance or him just throwing it in there, but it's to kind of pique your and my interest and also to remind us that when they were lighting these candles, they were remembering the one who is the light of the world. You following me? And in lighting the candles to remember that their Messiah had resurrected, had died and resurrected, they were also acknowledging that their Messiah was alive in them and then now they are also part of being that light of the world. So that when Jesus becomes and is abiding within us, that same light that Jesus is, listen to me now, that same light that Jesus is comes to abide in your and my life. And as a result, we begin to be a burning candle in the darkness. There's nothing light, okay, about that. But that is very heavy and intentional and purposeful and amazing. And we can go on and on with the descriptives of what that means for you and I. Tonight, today, tomorrow, for the days to come. I want us to get excited <laughs> because this is very significant. They would gather to remember the one who is the light, the one who had resurrected. That was the first day of the week, and they were remembering that on the first day of the week when they went to look for him in the tomb, he was no longer there. He had risen. He is alive. He is in your and my life. He is in your and my heart. You and I, come on, you and I are now that light. Isn't that powerful? We don't have to wait till the first day of the week to celebrate our risen king. We can celebrate him every day. We can wake up every day and say, man, there is reason for me to be here. There is purpose for me to be here. And I say that a lot when I do a Bible study or a message because I truly and honestly believe that there is purpose for you, mija. There is reason for you and I to be alive and breathing today. Man, I said, this is so cool. <laughs> I was, when I was getting into this, I was like, what? No, world does this mean? There's a lot of lamps. And I said, Lord, you have a lot of lamps in each and every one of us.
I pray to God that my wick never burns out. It's significant that they have six wicks. And I didn't study further enough to find out why there's six wicks. And I'm sure there's a reason. But one of the things that came up was that, hey, there was abundant light. Church, there is abundant light in you and I because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is abundant light in you and I. We have abundant light. And we no longer have to live in darkness. If you or somebody you know is in darkness, or myself, if we're in darkness, it's because we're choosing to be in darkness. It's because we've learned how to live in darkness. And it's just easier to just be in darkness than to turn on the light of our lives and the light of this world. But Jesus is saying, no, I want you to get out of that darkness because I've given you light. And there's a reason why I'm here today. That abundant light is in you and I. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Man, give the Lord a hand, please. <laughs> Jesus. Hmm. So watch this. They're upstairs in the upper room. They're saying prayers. They're lighting their candles. And they're remembering the risen king, the risen Messiah. But watch what happens. Some of you probably already read ahead, huh? Man, you're like my son. My oldest son's always, like, messing up, like, the stories for me and telling me stuff that happened in Marvel series. And I'm like, Lucas, I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> it says, there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. As Paul talked... On and on. Uh, I don't remember if any of you have ever fell asleep in church. I used to fall asleep when my dad would preach. I would sit in the front row, Mama Lisi, with my mom when I was a kid. And my dad would start preaching and I would start snoring. And it wasn't because my dad was boring. It was just, I was a kid. And it was just like, you know, after playing all day long, getting to church, after a few minutes, my dad would get into teaching the word and... <laughs> I was out. Right? And then I'd be playing with something or drawing, but my mom would start like, you know, doing this to my head or something, you know, while I was sitting there. And I just, after you know it, I'd be like, <sighs> falling asleep. And my dad wasn't as long-winded as Brother Paul here today, but my dad could preach for a good hour, you know? And I was ready to go home and watch MacGyver. I was like missing out. Knight Rider, those were my shows. Street Hawk. I don't remember what else. Well, it says, a young man named Eutychus, he was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. And when he was sound asleep, it says he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Okay, some significant here is that what, what I was able to read into this as I was studying, like, okay, I want to know exactly what happened here. He did something very similar to what Elisha the prophet did. I don't know when, how many of you remember the story of when he, excuse me, when Elisha put himself um, over the dead body of a young boy as well. 
So here Paul goes, and he actually goes hand to hand. He, the body was on the ground. He goes over to him, and he puts himself on. He lays himself completely over this boy's body, hands to hand or palms to palm, chest to chest, like that. You know what I'm saying, right? Isn't that interesting? And then look at what he says. Threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him, and he says to everyone, don't be alarmed. God gave Paul a gift of discernment. I don't know if you've caught that already throughout all these passages and stories we've been reading. But Paul gives, Paul has a gift of discerning what the Spirit is doing and what the Spirit is saying and things that are going on. I don't know if you remember several passages ago when he looked into the eyes of the one guy. I think it was one of the studies I was doing and he, he calls him out in front of everybody. It was discernment that he had and he tells him to stop teaching what he's teaching and he was like uh, uh, teaching false um, messages, false teachings, and confusing the people. I don't know if you remember that. It was right around chapter 15, around there, 16 or something. So Paul has this gift to discern what is happening. And as he's laying on top of this young man, he's able to discern that his soul has not left him. And this is even more like, to me, captivating because Paul doesn't use words of death. Follow me? As they had come and said... The young man was dead, right? It even sounds like somebody had already picked him up and his body was lifeless. But then at some point, they lay him back down and Paul lays on top of him. But he has this, this way of like communicating to the crowd, to those who were there, who were probably witnessing all this, was that there was still life in him. Just like the message that he preached to the people, to the crowds, whether they were Greek, whether they were Jewish, whoever it was that he was preaching to, whoever his audience was, he always preached a message of life through Jesus Christ. And so he says, he went down, threw himself on the young man. He says, don't be alarmed. He said, he's alive. Then he went upstairs again. Okay, this is crazy. After he tells everyone he's alive, says, then he went upstairs again and broke bread. <laughs> this is probably the second or third time in this entire chapter that we hear about breaking of bread. And I thought, man, it must have like exhausted Paul. I'm hungry again. I just worked up an appetite. I've been preaching for several hours. I just raised this kid from the dead, not by his own power, right? But by the power of Jesus Christ. And he says, come on, let's go back upstairs and eat some more. Yeah, the food's getting cold. Broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. That's as far as I'm going to go in the passage. And... I just want to like reiterate a little bit of what we see here. The power and the significance. Because there's power and there's significance here. There's symbolism. They are remembering, they're gathering to remember the resurrection of their Savior. Isn't that cool? And in that gathering of remembrance, of celebrating, of lighting their candles, because it's dark. <laughs> Paul's going all night. He's pulling a no lighter. We used to have these, yeah, we used to have these prayer meetings. I know Sandra, Mama Lisi, I don't know who else besides Mario and us here grew up in a Spanish traditional church, but 
we used to have these prayer nights. And man, I couldn't make it. I was a teenager and they would have all the youth come to, they called them vigils, vigilias, right? And, and they would mix it up with worship and, and reading scripture and somebody would preach and then some more worship and then somebody else would come and do a devotion. Or, but it was an all-nighter, literally. We would start like maybe at 10 or whatever and it would go until the next morning. Half of us wouldn't make it through, I'll be honest with you. I don't even remember any of our leaders making it through the entire night. At some point, somebody would just say, you know what, guys, let's close it out. And it'd be like, you know, two in the morning or something, and we'd go home. I don't know. But I just remember that I didn't make it through. I'd pretend like I'd be praying. I'd lay down on the carpet, and I would just put my head in my arm, and I'd just fall asleep. And, and whenever something would wake me up, I'd, amen, hallelujah. And I'd, that was, you know, 16-year-old Joe trying to, like, be spiritual at an all-night prayer vigil. Half of it was sleeping. So they are remembering the resurrection of their Lord. They're pulling an all-nighter, but they're celebrating the life that they have in Christ. And this young man falls three stories, dies, they pray over him, and he's resurrected to life. My dad tells her family a very similar story, and I'll close out with this story, because I feel like testimonies, stories, that we can relate to, that we can say that really happened. Uh, when I wasn't even born and, and, and when I was very, very young, before even the age of five, after that, I don't think my dad went and traveled as much, but he would have the, the youth of his church um, were like his worship teams and his traveling teams. And he wasn't like an evangelist per se, but they would invite him out and his team at the church to go to these remote little towns in Mexico. And he tells of this one story when they were invited to this town. Um, are, you, are any of you familiar with like the areas of Baja, like Mexicali, Hermosillo? Yes? All right. So they were invited to this town, was up there in the Sierra Madre. Um, I don't know how far from Hermosillo, but they remember traveling through Hermosillo and then from there heading up to the Sierra Madre, they called it, right? And Sierra Madre just means like the mother mountain, something like that, I guess. Um, but it's just a big mountain range out there in, in Baja and, and going over. I guess when you cross over, you can get into like TJ, Ensenada and all those areas. But on this side, on the Sonora, Mexicali, Hermosillo side, there was a little town up in the mountains called San Nicolás. Um, and they were invited to go to this really small town. He said it was really interesting because as they arrived, they arrived on an on a evening. I don't remember what day they arrived, but he says that they arrived there, this entire team from church. And my dad had this cool van. It was a Dodge, 1970-something Dodge, I believe. And he had built a platform on the side of it. So whenever they'd go to have these evangelistic type crusades, they would lower that platform, bring out the legs, and that was their stage. And that cool, portable stage. My dad was like, you know, way ahead of his time. And on the corners of the van, he had these slots where he would put in these poles, really high poles with these really bright lights so they could have service at night. And then they would somehow get power. I don't know if they had generators or what, but they put all the instruments on stage. Um, and on that stage, they'd put a little pulpit out, and that's how they would preach the gospel to these remote little towns and villages that they'd get invited to. 
So their whole team was there. And one of the couples that was with them, it was his main musician, I believe. And turns out uh, that man was, or is, I should say, he is my brother-in-law's uncle. So my dad's known their family for years, even before like all, any of my brother-in-law and his siblings were like born. He knew and, and saw his uncles grow up in ministry. So they were like his main musicians, right? Like the Marios and, you know, the truckers and the Louvins of our, of our church. Um, that's, that was the team my dad had. And they would go out to these places with him. It was really cool. My two oldest sisters, um, they were like in their high school age around that time. Um, I believe I was barely like maybe two years old. So my mom and I, we weren't on that trip. But this couple that was with my dad, they had a son. And his name was Samuel. Everybody knows him as Sam. And he was little. And he was playing with some of the kids of the little village once they got there. They had built this church on a cliffside. But the patio of the church didn't have a gate or a fence. Okay? But that was like the church patio. And it was right on the edge of a cliff, kind of where, from where they were at on the property. And the kids were playing. Well, they said from the moment they arrived, they started to experience some opposition. The boy's mom had gone ill immediately as they arrived. She became ill. And she was one of their worship leaders, main worship leaders. And they, were, they started praying for her because they were going to start, they were going to have service later that evening. And they just started praying for her. And as they're praying for her, somebody comes running from the church area where the church was, the church building. They come running from there saying, Sam fell. Sam's dead. Sam fell. And as they look up, they said they kept praying. And, and once they got to where they're at, but my dad remembers hearing them from a distance. And he said, I didn't stop praying. I heard it. He goes, but I kept praying for her. And then as we finished and we look up, I see the boy's uncle. So the boy's uncle and the dad, both were musicians. They're brothers. They were, one of, they were the two of my dad's main musicians. One played, they all played all kinds of instruments, but one of them played like the accordion. The other played the guitar or the piano, whatever they would take with them. And they were the main musicians, these two guys. So the uncle is bringing Sam in his arms. And Sam had fallen off the edge of the patio of the church down the cliff. My dad says he remembers it was several stories, the distance from where they went to look later, several stories like in, dis in distance, in height. They don't know exactly, but they just remember that he fell on his back and hit his head. So the uncle's bringing him, and they said he was lifeless. His limbs, everything, he was just, you know, lifeless. And as they approached my dad, the uncle... They call him Chava. His name was Salvador. They call him Chava. And he had his nephew in his hands. And he's like, Pastor, he's dead. And as they looked at him, my dad takes the boy in his arms. He's not breathing. There's no pulse. He's just, he's dead. My dad takes the boy in his arms. And my dad said, I wasn't a doctor. He goes, and there wasn't any doctor around. We were in a remote little town up in the mountains of La Sierra Madre, in this town called San Nicolas, they had a plane that would come in during the week to take people or for emergencies or for food or whatever that would fly to TJ and back or to like Mexicali and back, some of the bigger cities down, you know, on the borders. 
he said, but there was no way to get this boy to a doctor or a hospital. He goes, so obviously the only thing we needed to do was to pray for him. So I started praying over him. I grabbed him in my arms and I just started pleading the blood of Christ over his life and that the, the power and the resurrection power of Christ would begin to flow through his body once again. And he said that as they were praying, the boy lets out a gasp and begins to scream. And his life comes back to him. And he said that everybody was so in shock. Nobody was crying. Nobody was screaming. He just said, here. He gave him back to the uncle. And the uncle had no words. Just took the boy back. They said the following day and days, because they were there for a few days, the boy was acting normal. He played. He was running around. So about a month ago, his dad passed away. Now he's older. My dad's 90 years old, okay? So the uncle, I'm not sure what age he was, but I know he was up there in age, and he passed away. And my dad goes to his funeral. And um, as my dad's there at the funeral, Samuel is sitting in the front row with his family now. He's a grown man. He's like, I think, about 53, 54 years old now. He's got his family, his kids. And my dad had gone up to pay his respects to go see the casket and the body of his longtime friend. And as he turned around, he sees Samuel there. He says, Samuel came up, gave him a hug, and he says, Pastor, he says, I still remember that God gave me a second chance at life. When you prayed over me as a kid and I had lost my life, he still, he goes, I don't forget till this day. He goes, I'm reminded of it. He goes, I'm a living testimony that God can give life. He says, and I'm here as a testimony to that. And I don't forget. And that just blows my mind sometimes to think that God has given us abundant light through his son, Jesus Christ. May we never allow the wicks of our spiritual candle to be blown out. But that same message and that same power that raised Eutychus from the dead, right? In that experience, sometimes I feel like God does those things so that as you're growing your faith, it's like, Man, I need to bookmark this, right? You ever read such a good book that you say, I need to bookmark this page. Or you, you watch such a good movie, you're like, I need to buy that movie. <laughs> or things that happen in life, you say, I need to record this. Let me take a picture of you guys, right? They're like little bookmarks of life that build up our faith. That strengthens our faith. And my dad recognizes that. And he's told me, he said, that experience catapulted my faith to continue to preach the gospel and not be afraid of anything that would come our way. That I would never doubt God and his power and what he could do. And that, I believe, is a testimony for all of us in his scriptures, in our life experiences, that each and every one of us has been brought back to life. We've all been given a second chance. We don't have to wait till one of us, you know, stops breathing or loses our pulse to say God is real. We've all been given a second chance at life. Let's let our candle burn 
for the Lord. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for your, your mighty power, Lord, that is alive in us today, that gives us abundant light. Lord, give us, give us the courage to keep that light burning, to be the light in the darkness. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us tonight would leave encouraged, that we would have boldness, Lord, as we leave your house, to be that light in this world that desperately needs to see hope, to hear hope, to find hope that is you in our lives, Lord Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you guys Sunday, Lord willing.